Welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast, where we believe God heals people in the way that brings Him the most glory and brings us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique, but pain is our common language. Let's vie for victory, friends. Hello, welcome to the Vying for Victory podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai, and I am your host. Just a reminder, if you have been listening to this show and you enjoy it, please head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe to the podcast, and then also leave us a review. That'll really help other people find us and start fighting for their freedom and reconciling their pain with their faith as well. Today on the show, we have Kinsey Baca, who I have recently gotten acquainted with, and she has been dealing with narcolepsy, which is this overwhelming urge to fall asleep, and it's not just tired because you didn't get enough sleep or something that most of us face, but it's actually something physical going on that causes this, and so even though she might not have gotten the hand dealt to her that she might have liked, she has just been faithful to the Lord and is still walking through it figuring out what is next for her and how to glorify him more in this. So I think you're really, really going to enjoy her story. Here is Kinsey Baca. You are at home right now with your parents, or actually you're at your dad's office for internet. Yes, I am. (laughs) Living it now. Yay for coronavirus. And you came back from Canacook. So what are you doing at Canacook? So I am basically studying scripture to help me defend what I believe in the gospel and um, to take that through ministry, whatever I do, whether it's being a mom or doing something in business world, it's just to help me be able to have a ministry wherever I go, whatever I do. How long is the program? And are you coming up on the end of that? Yes. Yeah, actually, I'm graduating on Friday. So in four days, um, and it's eight months. So I've been there since September. Does that feel great? Exciting? Do you what are you going to do for graduation amidst all this? I'm not sure. But something that's cool is I sent a picture actually of this really cute dress from a boutique um, in Sherman. And I was like, I really want this dress. Like, it's so cute. But I I just do that for fun. And my parents, like, think it's funny, but they never do anything. But they bought the dress for me, and they didn't tell me. And it was going to be, like, a surprise gift for graduation to wear. And so I will probably still wear that. I don't know what we're doing, like, class-wise, but I'm probably still going to wear it on Friday just to, like, commemorate my semester. (laughs) Yeah, you should make your parents dress up and then take pictures just like a real graduation. Yeah, have like a cap and gown. (laughs) Yeah, no, I had to miss my graduation for grad school, not the same circumstances, but I was trying to go for a cut in swimming. And so I missed my graduation and, but I had already bought my cap and gown. And so we packed it and then, um, we had like this mock ceremony with my coaches and my teammates. Um, so it can be more memorable, even you, though yeah, memorable. you make it what it is. So yeah, absolutely. So Kenzie, where, what state are you in? I'm in Texas. I'm in North Texas. Yay. Okay. Sorry. I had to throw that in there. I am from Texas, Texas at heart, even though I'm up in the North now. So I heard about your story from your mom, who I met a few weeks ago, who's also an amazing woman. I met both your parents and I was just amazed because this is not a very common thing for most people to have. So you have recently been diagnosed with narcolepsy, right? Yes. 
Narcolepsy is cataplexy. Okay, so explain that. I don't even, not sure I know what cataplexy is. Exactly. Nobody really does. I didn't even know what narcolepsy or cataplexy was when I was diagnosed. So with medical terminology, best I can explain it is narcolepsy is an, a neurological disorder that basically my brain doesn't create naturally the chemical hypocretin, which supports REM sleep. It supports deep sleep, helps you stay asleep. So my body doesn't naturally create that. And so every hour on the hour for like 20 minutes, my body wants to go into REM, but like not stay in REM. And so that creates the excessive sleepiness during the day and excessive sleeping time. And then cataplexy is an autoimmune disease where my body will, I, I use like, I don't know what you call, would call it, but basically I say my body hyper, hyper creates hypocretin in a short amount of time spurred on by like intense emotion, passion, laughter, like anger, love, whatever it may be. And so in that short amount of time, my body hyper creates this chemical and my body thinks I'm asleep, but my brain knows I'm awake. So my body falls asleep. My, my knees go weak. My eyes get heavy. It, it's kind of in the family of like epilepsy and seizures. It does yeah. the same thing or like fainting. So that is narcolepsy and cataplexy. So do you then have trouble sleeping deeply at night as well? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So on a good, good night, I can get a solid five hours of uninterrupted sleep, but normally it's less than that. Wow. That's a lot. So this is something, this might sound totally weird to you, but the only thing I had ever heard about narcolepsy is I, it went viral. I don't know, a few years ago, like narcoleptic puppies where they're just running and they fall asleep. It's really great if you YouTube it, but it's, you know, it's really cute and funny as a puppy, but if you're a human, with this like urge to fall asleep all the time. I mean that you have to be able to drive and study and how has that affected your day-to-day life? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, I think the big picture of what people have of narcolepsy and honestly, like one of the common misconceptions because I can walk and like talk and be fine and I'm not going to fall asleep while we're interviewing, obviously, but it is serious in the sense of the sleepiness doesn't just like for me, at least it might be different for someone else with narcolepsy, but for me, it doesn't just come on and then I'm automatically asleep. It's a, it's a gradual process of like, okay, my eyes feel heavy, but I don't think I'm tired. And then, okay, I'm tired, but like, I can't be, I'm driving. And so it's like a gradual, like process of how to cope with that. And so for instance, with driving, I have to pull over. If I have like a two hour drive, it usually takes me four hours because I have to pull over every so often and just get out of the car or like, take a quick nap or whatever in the car so that I don't fall asleep at the wheel. Okay. So you started learning some of these coping things. So how long ago were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed three years ago in August. It'll be three years ago, but it went undiagnosed for seven years. Okay. So when did you start getting symptoms? How old were you? Do you think? It was either freshman year or maybe before freshman year of high school. It just got worse as the years got on and like they were more noticeable and so. Yeah. So what, what did that start feeling like? Or you're just like, you thought you were just this normal high schooler who got tired all the time and then it started getting serious. Yeah. The most vivid thing I can remember is math class, like junior or senior year. And you can look back at notes where I'm just taking notes and then I start like falling asleep while I'm taking notes and it just looks like Chinese writing. It's just gibberish. And when I would go to tutoring, my teacher would be like, did you fall asleep while you're writing notes? And I'd be like, well, yeah. 
Like, I, I thought that that was, like, not normal, but I thought that, like, most people struggled with that. And then senior year, I was out of drill team for two years, and so I wasn't exercising. I wasn't in a normal, like, exercise routine. And so my parents thought that I was just not getting enough exercise or, like, needed to go work out more. And so we got a gym membership and, like, go work out, but still be more tired after that. And then I actually have a blog where I've written a little bit about like my experience and one of them talks about when I first went through the process and we got tested for mono and it was negative I got thyroid tested that was also negative I had vitamin deficiencies and then I got tested for anemia and all of it came back normal except for like a few vitamin deficiencies and so we're like what is wrong we don't understand and none of the doctors we saw I probably saw like three doctors in that time period and none of them ever said anything about narcolepsy or anything sleep related. And so we were just like, what is wrong? But then we just kind of blew it off because we were like, she seems fine. So yeah. And then so what was the final thing that made them get to that diagnosis? I would say we they had talked about getting tested for it. Um, the first time that I brought it up to them, the first time I brought it up to them was kind of a joke. It was like, have you heard of narcolepsy? Like it's this thing where like people fall asleep easily, but I don't think I have it. And I actually didn't know about it. Uh, one of my friends and his mom at the time were like telling me about it. And I was like, Oh, I don't like so in denial. And then I was in a car accident my freshman year of college and I had a really bad concussion. And so from that, I started getting worse. And so then seeing more symptoms and more side side effects from that, they decided to get testing then. That it was like a year after that accident. So okay. 2017. Wow. So most of us, it's sleep is this thing that just controls so much of our life, really. I mean, it's, and what's fascinating too is uh, my husband was reading this book. I want to read it. It's called The Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And he said, before electricity got invented, the average American slept 11 hours a night. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, even doctors, I mean, what I know, say like sleep seven to eight hours a night. And I know a lot of people who struggle with insomnia, right? Which can be every bit as dangerous. But then are you, you're not necessarily, I guess, now that I understand it a little better, on the opposite side of that. Because it seems like you do struggle with staying deep asleep. Mm-hmm. But this is just a crazy concept to me of when your sleep is off, it's like your whole body is off. Like, do you feel this in other areas of your body or is your other health good? What does that look like? I would say kind of reverse of that is from getting the concussion, it made the narcolepsy worse. And so that spurs on like headaches or it can really affect like your whole body since it's an autoimmune disease too. cataplexy is. And so like even physical health is hard to maintain with that. But other than that, I, that it doesn't like, I mean, I'm a normal human being. I have other like health issues, but they're not related to narcolepsy. Okay. Okay. Is cataplexy always go with narcolepsy or is Mm -mm. the, no, some people have just like narcolepsy by itself and some people can have it with cataplexy so okay so now you've been going through this for three years do you feel like you kind of have a handle on it or is it still a struggle of figuring out what to do I don't think about it as much as I did when I first got diagnosed it's more of a struggle of like coming to terms with it more than Mm -hmm. anything I am more embarrassed about it than anything else like it's just an embarrassment for me or I'm in denial about it and so that then creates me not being proactive in looking for and like researching ways to like 
help this. There's not a lot of treatment options for narcolepsy. It's not like curable or anything. So yeah. When you say that you're embarrassed, we'll expound on that. Why are you embarrassed with it? Yeah. Um, I think when I first got diagnosed, it was like, well, I don't want to be seen as like lazy or like, I don't want this to be an excuse for things. Um, and then on to that, it was like, well, I, so from the cataplexy, it's obviously a physical feature, like it affects your whole body. And so, um, when my eyes get heavy, I've been told like, well, you look high. Okay. Well that doesn't feel good. Or like, Oh, like you sleep a lot. You take a lot of naps and it's like, you must not be productive. And it's like, that's such a misconception. And so those things, if people catch me falling asleep in class or whatever, and they're like, Hey, like it's like falling asleep. And they think it's kind of funny. Like they're just joking or, you know, keeping me on top of things in my head. I'm like, okay, like I can't help it. And I'm sorry. Like I like have nothing to fix this with. So that's where the embarrassment comes in, I think, more than anything. And just that it affects my whole, my whole life, physical, emotional, mental, everything. Yeah, so talk about that for a second. How has the physical affected your mental and emotional state? Yeah, from the comments or from like, even my own thoughts of like, well, what are people thinking about this? Or like, what do people think of me? It's categorized as a disability. And so technically, like I have to tell certain people like in school or like in jobs, they can't hire me or not hire me because of it. But I feel like I have an obligation to tell them now of, hey, I do have this and this is something to look out for. But I'm still willing to do my share of work or my share of help. But how can we accommodate and compromise on both ends of how can I come in on a different time schedule or whatever it may look like. But then even like emotional, it's just a lot of ups and downs. Like some days are better than others. And some days it's like fear of like intimacy in friendships and relationships of your people are going to know your deepest, dark secrets. And narcolepsy isn't something you can just easily hide. And so just choosing wisely who my people are and just knowing, trusting the Lord will provide the comfort in that. Yeah. How soon do you tell people that you struggle with like classmates who are making fun of you? Do you actually respond and say, Hey, actually, this is what I have. Or do you take it? I'm curious. Um, it depends. I, it, I, it's very case by case for me. Um, I'm very much an observer and I can perceive very well. And I feel like I know how I can trust before I even know someone, which is so weird, but get the Institute. I like had to stand up in front of everyone and give my three minute testimony, my like elevator testimony. And in that I told them, Hey, like I have narcolepsy. And so it was kind of a, it was like a very basic rod. Here's what I have. But until I like get to know people, I won't go into what the diagnosis even is because I think that at some point it's up to other people. It's like educate themselves on health issues and to know and take um, initiative on understanding and being kind of empathetic towards people and even themselves with their health. And so that there's not like this, these like misconceptions in their own heads. Um, like even myself with other health issues that like I may not know more about just, I can only tell you so much and you can only understand so much until you either walk through it or research it yourself. So I just kind of choose. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something that I have discovered with physical pain is I used to just get so frustrated because I said, well, no one can understand. Well, just because people can't understand doesn't mean they can't help. Right. So who, how has God taught you about letting people help you? That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I think the biggest thing for me is, so I didn't, 
Well, okay, so I walked through the whole diagnosis process. I was walking through it with like all my camp friends and people who I just met at camp. Um, and so they had seen me at camp before diagnosis, saw and like walked through like, you know, falling asleep in Bible study or getting sleepy during the day and like needing them to keep me going along. We didn't have any idea what it was. Then walking through the whole diagnosis process of everything that went through with that. And then post-diagnosis of friends even reaching out and like sending articles that they're reading where they're like, hey, like, I didn't know this about this. This is cool. Or like, is this something that you struggle with and how can I help you? And so that was one way. And then just like not allowing negativity to define whether or not they're going to help me because I think it's just a matter of mentality and like perspective of, okay, like, I don't think they meant to be hurtful by anything they just said. I think it's more of a sensitivity issue. And so just taking that onto my own shoulders and being like, I'm going to own up to my own feelings and be okay with certain comments being made, but then allowing there to be grace in that. And then them being able to still be there to help me. And now it even looks like my closest community here in Sherman, just like being open and being like, Hey, like I would love to go, you know, to this event with y'all tonight, but can one of you drive? Because I'm actually really tired from work today. Like I might have to take a nap in the car and then being like, that's fine. So just balancing learning how to ask and learning how to accept help is still a work in progress. Yeah, it takes a lot of humility, you know? Yes, (laughs) it really does. Yeah, so let's talk about the spiritual side of this from the beginning to now. I mean, first off, when you get that kind of diagnosis, what goes through your head when you get told you have this, that there's not really medicine, there's not really a cure, you probably have it for the rest of your life. Have you been a Christian since you were little? And like, how did that first start affecting your relationship with God? Yeah. So I was baptized and saved when I was six. And so I don't discount that at all. I think the Holy Spirit was still moving in that part of my life and that age. But I would say that I didn't fully grasp the gospel until I was 17 when I understood the weight of my sin and like the need for a savior on a mission trip in Nicaragua. And that was, I was walking through the, you know, symptoms and not knowing what was wrong with me even in that point of time but then being diagnosed in college and post going through you know six seven years of having these symptoms and not knowing I would say the first thing is is I never was like mad or like angry at God it was more just like a okay so like what like why like more of a questioning um I walked through that that was the beginning of a season of a lot of unknowns for me like school like okay, like I just had this bad car accident and a concussion. Don't know why that happened. But the repercussions of that is I can't go back to school for a year per doctor's orders. Why? And just not getting the answer in the sky that I wanted. And so then that spurred on, you know, getting diagnosed with narcolepsy. Okay, well, why is this something that I have? Why can't I be normal in some area of life? And like, why can't this be something that I just fix on my own? That's a question of not going to get a clear answer. And then walking through like a breakup of why did this relationship have to end? There's no clarity on other people's ends and like needing to know answers. Okay, don't know that. And then losing a job on top of that. My dream, dream job of not getting actually even a clear answer of why that even ended um, on a professional level. And so I had this long list in like a year worth of like unknowns. And so my, that whole theme was just resting and trusting in the unknowns, but like, just like reveling in God's mysteries and like his mysteries are so big and so great. And we were not created to know everything. And so if we were, we wouldn't need him. And so it created my, it 
reignited like my sense of need for God in different ways, more than things that I can control in a day-to-day basis. So I would say that the theme word would be like trust, just like creating a different sense of trust. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes is, if God were big enough for you to understand, sorry, if he were small enough for you to understand, he would not be big enough for you to worship. And I think right now people in the country and the world are dealing with all this unknown. So going through some of this, you know, I mean, that's quite a hefty amount in a year. What would you say to people right now dealing with so much unknown? Yeah, that's my favorite question. So I'm glad you asked. Okay. Um, I would say so. I was thinking about this actually yesterday in the car where I do my best thinking. I said, okay, I don't want to read all these news articles that are talking about negative things. I don't want to read all the bad that's coming from this unknown, you know, season of life. And even maybe not even talking about Corona. I want to just like soak in the good news. I just want to read the good news. I just want to know all the good things that are happening from this. I only want to hear if something's happening that's good. And I want to cling to that. And then it like the just hit me. The Lord was like, Kinsey, the only good news that you're going to be able to cling to is my word and my scripture. And like, even the good news that's in the news is not stable because we've seen it fluctuate from day to day mm-hmm. and day in and day out changes. And so it's like, my word's not going to do that. It's stable and reliable and it will sustain you for life. And so I just had this moment of, oh, even the good news that we hear isn't going to be our hope. Like our hope is going to have to be in the word of God um, because it's not changing and he's not changing and his promises are yes and amen. And so they're going to happen and we have that hope to rely on. So I think that would be my biggest thing is for believers, at least like to seek scripture in times of need and even reading the Bible, like, you know, going through the Bible in a year is what I'm doing right now. And I'm in like a book where we're talking about nothing that has to do with Corona or anything. And I'm like, okay, well, how can I apply this to my day-to-day life? And sometimes it's not how can you apply it to your life? It's just, how can I spend more time with the Lord? Like, how can I get to know his character more through scripture? It's not always about us. And so it's just making our reliance more on him. Yeah. What book are you reading right now? Uh, Second Samuel. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I'm finished, close to finishing a study on Daniel and I was doing Jeremiah as well. And part of the big thing about it is absolutely God's word is alive and active in a double-edged sword. So he is faithful to apply the most random, obscure thing to your life. But also that's not always why you read it. Because sometimes it's just like learning about God and these incredible things that were, I don't know, prophesied like thousands of years before and they've happened like history, like clockwork. It's just shows you how big God is. Are there any verses that you've been clinging to in in this time or as you've gone through everything with narcolepsy? Yeah, the one that came to my mind when I first saw this was John 13, seven. You probably don't recognize what I'm doing right now, but soon you will. And that might not be like soon now, um, like soon on this earth or like soon in your lifetime, but it will be soon maybe in, you know, heaven, but like you will find out one day, like this will come full circle. And like, you will see like my purpose in this, you will see my purpose in this, you'll see my purpose in this. So that's like been a big one. And then just like, even first Thessalonians talking about the will of God is sanctification. And so taking that and being like, okay, if sanctification is becoming more like God and like becoming more Christ-like, that's going to be stripping me from things I'm comfortable with and stripping me of things that I am clinging to that aren't the gospel. And so it's 
revealing the core of who I am. And so if the will of God is for sanctification, then that's going to strip away my health. Maybe that's going to strip away relationships, going to strip away a job. It's going to strip away school that I thought I wanted so bad that he was like, you don't need those. I promise I'm going to show you, you need me more. And so first Thessalonians, um, and then like, there's a lot of Psalms and Proverbs that are encouraging, but those have been the main ones. That's awesome. I love the fact that you said soon could be heaven because we think, oh, soon is just in the next week or tomorrow. And has there been anything on your journey so far that you've, you actually can look back on now that it's been years and say, you know, I don't know why God was doing this when it happened, but now it makes sense. Oh, I love that question. I would say with school, I applied three times to get into A&M starting from senior year of high school my first year at Blinn and then my second time at Blinn and didn't get in either of those times. Even when I had a GPA, even when I had the family legacy and I had all the quote unquote qualifications, but I look back on that and I'm like thankful because I didn't even end up finishing school for a lot of different reasons. But I think that I was searching for more than just school when I was applying to go to AM and I was like finding my identity and thought I had to please all these people. And so that was a big thing of school is not going to identify me and it's not going to define me. Um, I'm still going to be able to be fully capable of more than enough things as an educated adult. I would say also with haven't gotten there with narcolepsy, but just with like the job that I lost that I mentioned earlier, like, okay, like they were going to make me work on Sundays. And so when would I go to church? Like that's a blessing, like a you know, rejection, mm-hmm. protection, like the Lord was protecting me from being complacent in my faith by choosing a job that's going to make me work on a Sunday and not letting me go to church. So that was a blessing. And then those have been the main things, even going to KI where it's like, okay, like this is, this was where I was supposed to be because I needed to actually understand like what I believe and why I believe it so I can use it for his glory. Yeah. That's awesome. And then I also, it sounds bad, but I like that you said, I'm not there with narcolepsy yet. Because that's real and we're in the middle of these things and hopefully we'll see God in whether it's 10 years, 20 years, but we might not until, until the other side of heaven. So when you have this limitation and when you're still going through this, what does that look like on a Monday where you're just going through life with the Lord? Can you take us through what are some tools if we're currently struggling with our body's limitations how, how do you surrender that? What does that look like? It looks like a lot of humility and not in like a prideful way. And I'm saying that <laughs> in, obviously, but I'm saying that in like a, okay, yeah. God, like I wanted to go drive to this place and it's three hours away, but today I just like physically can't do it. So I'm going to surrender that. But deeper than that, more than that, it's like, okay, I have class at 8 a.m. and I could choose to sleep until seven o'clock and get up or I could choose to even through my lack of sleep still lose sleep in order to like spend time with the Lord or whatever it may be but like throughout the day it looks like a lot of deciding how I spend my time based on like what my purpose is that day and so I can choose like, okay, like I'm really, like, I feel like I need to take a nap, but I'm not that tired. Um, or like, this is normally when I would, but I just want to spend time in the word. So I think it's just taking whatever comes in that day and filtering it through truth. So you may feel a certain way. You may think it's going to go a certain way, but just being like, okay, 
this is what's happening. This is what God's word says. What is the outcome of that? And how can I still glorify him in that? It sounds actually, I know it's very hard to see it this way probably most of the time, but a huge blessing because what most people are so busy with and we don't have something stopping us like that to make us take a step back and say, oh God, like, what do you want from this day? And what do you want to teach me? And so it's actually really, really beautiful that you're living in that kind of dependence on him. Mm -hmm. Someone dealing with something that affects them every day or every minute or every hour, what would you say to them as, as hope in that? Mm Kind of like what you just said of, I mean, it creates a dependence that not everyone is going to experience on that level. And so using that as encouragement, but then also something that you're able to use in encouraging that is being empathetic towards other people. So I think that people who walk through limitations and disabilities and diagnosis are created for a purpose. And that purpose, I think, is empathy and encouragement. And I think that they're able to see others in a different light than some people are and encourage people who are not able to see them in the same light of, hey, like, we're both walking through the same thing, um, but they're still capable, but they're also still dependent on the Lord. And so I would say just taking everything and depending on the Lord in that. Yeah. Talk to me for a second about how you have been able to help others through your pain, because I think some people are like, oh, well, I've had a knee surgery, so I could totally mentor someone through a knee surgery. Well, narcolepsy is not something that you could just probably, who knows, God could totally bring you someone and I would not put that past him. But, you know, someone knows the exact same thing. But how have you still seen what God is teaching you help other people? Yeah. I remember the first person after my diagnosis that I met that has, that had narcolepsy, I started crying so hard because I was like, I don't know anyone else who has this. And I feel like you understand me now on a deeper level. And I feel like we have this deeper connection. And she was so sweet. We were able to share stories. But one thing that we walked away just learning from each other was our stories are so similar, but they're so different and they're both pointing to the Lord. So it's helped me see too that everyone's stories are so different. You had, you know, knee surgery, you had a biopsy, whatever it may be, but they're all there to glorify the Lord. And I think that's the coolest thing. But also I think even walking through some people at the Institute that had health limitations of understanding before I was diagnosed, you know, you hear people's stories. And I think for me, it's easy to think that I'm coming up with like an excuse, like they might be coming up with an excuse for like getting out of something, which is terrible in our own human limitations and sin. But instead of that, my first thought was, oh, how can I help? Or like, what can I look out for? And taking more action in that. And so that's been one of the coolest things of, obviously I don't walk through a lot of helping others with narcolepsy, but just seeing how I can help others in their own. Yeah. Well, I love, so you're saying it decreased your judgment of others. Now here's my question. Has it ever increased your sin of comparison? Um, yes, especially in productivity. That's the biggest one because in my book, productivity is relative and it's circumstantial and it's per season. So I think for me right now, productivity is going to class and being present and doing well in that and finishing well and strong. And then my next step will be obviously finding a job. But for some people, like my dad, productivity is working nine to five and providing for a family. And I think that when 
even when people don't say it, I can think that I'm being less productive because of like needing more rest or like because of needing less or having to take less on as like a burden, like a load. And so the biggest thing I've seen in comparison is productivity. All right. Yeah. And then the parable of the talents, right? God has given you however many, but he's also given you this limitation. How... How do you steward that and just say, this is what I've been given and I'm going to use it and not compare it to other people? <laughs> I'm just very vocal about it, like very vocal about it. Um, even on social media, I have a blog. I haven't updated in a while, but I just share, like sometimes I'll just get on and be like, okay, today I had a great day. Like I didn't need a nap at all. Or like sometimes I'll text my friends like, I didn't need a nap at all today. And then sometimes I'll even share my stories of hardship because I think it's important to be vulnerable in both. And so I'll still be open on days that are harder and days that seem less purposeful because I think in the end those are what creates being able to relate relationships like being able to have that empathy with other people and other people seeing she's struggling still and like nothing on her external is keeping her from struggling nothing that she's accomplishing is keeping her from still struggling I think that's the biggest thing is um, creating vulnerability and um, an open space to share is like that's like the most important thing to me. That's so beautiful. And here's my question, because everyone can relate to this, is how do you balance creating a vulnerability space online versus, I mean, that can so easily then turn into the need for affirmation. So how do you balance, oh, you know what, I need to share this today versus eh, maybe today I just am feeling insecure and want validation. Yeah. <laughs> the like bible scholar in me wants to be like well my validation's in the lord <laughs> um but not always it isn't and so <laughs> i would say for me um i have a select group of people and they know who they are who i can go to in times where i'm like today i just had a really hard time where like i had to take more naps or like i got sleepy doing something i don't normally get sleepy with or whatever it may be and then being able to know like oh she needs to like be encouraged and like it's okay today was a hard day and like here's some scripture to encourage you and move on from that and then social media is more of like a broad like I just want people to know how my day was or like how walking through this is and I think also my heart behind that is just educating on all topics so yeah do you feel like you have to have something processed before you put it on social media um that's also circumstantial more often than not yes there are sometimes uh trigger fingers you know you just like, get really excited <laughs> and you just really want to do something um and so sometimes I I do it and then I either immediately regret it or I'm like looking to see how many people you know like getting the affirmation and so there have been times where I've either like deleted something or even today I was reading one of my old blog posts and I was like oh um this is like not edifying or glorifying to the Lord so like took it down so just little things like that but yeah I think I prefer to process through because I ultimately don't, I think the goal should always be to glorify the Lord and no matter what, even if it is a hard day, um, or even if it is something that's like, that I'm passionate about, I think I can be passionate and still channel that through grace and not be rude or channeling it in negative ways. Um, I think also I, there's a lot of personal stories. And so choosing wisely what I choose to share out of protection for other people who walk through that with me and obviously don't use names, obviously like don't get super specific for people who wouldn't have known, but I'm just protecting their part in that story, whether or not they're still 
in that. Yeah, I think this is such an important conversation to have, especially for two people who were, I mean, I remember having a brick computer and I actually did not have a cell phone until middle school, which, and that was like, you know, back then it was whatever that kind of texting is where you have to hit it three times to get to the right letter and stuff. And it was because we carpooled and things. And so people are just growing up in this different world. And I think this is really interesting because I don't think you can minister out of wounds because hurt people hurt people. You need to minister from scars and not wounds. But is there truth or something good that can come from, you know what, today was horrible and I'm looking to the Lord? I think so. Um, And I think that's so true of taking her and using it for healing. And even if it's just healing in our own lives of some of us are verbal processors. And I, so I think that that's something that I used to justify that, but having to be careful of, okay, like I think people need to see vulnerability to a certain degree and to a certain extent in order to know that like whatever they're going through is not uncommon or know that there is still hope that they can cling to and being able to share what that is, like whatever scripture it might be or whatever prayer you might be praying and how that's helped you. Yeah, because I am someone who very much leans to the side of like, I wish I could just throw social media away and not have to deal with it because it does. And I was a teacher and it does so much to your brain and different things. But part of that is like, it can be used for such good. But as you're talking, I'm like, man, I wonder if something our generation needs and the generations coming up behind us is like social media accountability partners. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. we should like create a group. No, but really, of maybe just here are my two friends and you guys have free right to message me at any point and check my motives. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And I think one of the things, one of the ways we did that, even at the Institute, it was like a practical way of holding each other accountable on social media was we had accountability partners. And so if we were like, we need a break from social media, giving them like a password, they have a password that they put like on a timer on our social media. And so if we run out of time and that, you know, password comes up where normally I would make it. So I would know it. So I could just type it in. They would know it. And I wouldn't be able to you know, I'd be like, oh, I really want the password. And they'd be like, well, sorry, tomorrow is a new day. So I think that is cool. And just there's even smaller ways we can do that now, which is really helpful. That reminds me, my friend just got an app and this goes back, bring us back to sleep, but she doesn't want to snooze and it makes you take a photo of whatever you set it to in the morning. So like I have to take a picture of my kitchen sink or whatever, or else it won't turn the alarm off, which I think is. That's cool hilarious. So there's that one too, if you're listening and need something like that. But another question I had talking about spiritual disciplines and practices, accountability partners, what for you is something that helps you? I mean, you're dealing with being tired a lot. Do you like to journal? Have you found unique ways to have a quiet time? What are some of your favorite things to do? Yeah, I love to write. So anywhere I can write, like I have a blog. So sometimes I'll just like write a draft and not publish it or just like write in my journal, which is fun. And then I, this is so open, I'm just going to tell you, but I sometimes will make videos on my phone. I'll just like video myself talking because I verbal process a lot, even without videoing it. And I think Mm -hmm. I like to look back and watch that. Even if I don't show anyone, I just want to know like, okay, what was I walking through that day? Um, And then like, even in quiet times, sometimes, so I do like the daily Bible on Spotify. So it's like, I'll listen to scripture versus having to read it all the time because 
reading makes me sleepy. So like even compromising there, okay, I can listen to it still and get the same truth that I would be getting from reading it. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. I love the idea of filming yourself. I don't know that I could watch myself externally process it. Is it brutal? Um, a little bit. I don't watch them all. I don't, I normally don't even watch them. I just like to know that I have them and I just save them all in a folder if I ever wanted to watch them. Okay. Cause that's how I feel with my journals of like, sometimes I just need to get it out and no one needs to see it. You can, if I die, you can just burn my journals. Some of it's really good stuff. And some of it's just word vomit that no one needs to, to see, but you got to get it out somewhere, right? Yeah, you do. I love that. Maybe I'll make a video. We'll see. Kinsey, I've loved this. What are some things, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to share regarding just physical things, what you've been through, anything you'd like to share with people? I don't think so. I think we covered all the bases. Okay. I have a random question. Have you ever worked the Canna Cut camp? Yes. K7. Okay. So that's something my mom did way back in the day. They've been around for forever. So long. And Joe White's still here. (laughs) He's still hanging on. (laughs) Yeah. I bet. Well, who knows? All the unknowns, right? I don't know that they're going to have camps this summer. Maybe. I don't know. I think they're still, I mean, they're still walking through as if they're going to have camp. Um, I don't know when nobody knows, but I think that they're just like going to keep going until somebody tells them to stop. Well, yeah. I mean, if everything opens back up, parents are going to be like, okay, bye. Go to summer camp. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Well, you keep mentioning this blog. How can people read your blog? And then do you have social media or ways that people can follow you or connect with you? Yeah, I actually, I have an Instagram, but I delayed the app in December and I haven't been back on since, but I have a link on there to my, I have two blogs. I have one that's like personal and then one that I like write specifically for narcolepsy. The narcolepsy one isn't updated right now, but there's a link to it on my personal blog and my personal blog is less dairy, more grace. Um, and so it's just linked on my Facebook. Less dairy, like dairy, like milk. Mm-hmm. I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> okay. All right. Less dairy more grace dot com dot wordpress dot com dot wordpress dot com okay awesome kenzie thank you so much this has been wonderful thank you so much for having me Wow, Kinsey's testimony is so encouraging to me. I hope it was to you as well. And I am just excited also to show the world that the millennial generation is still fighting for our faith and just hanging in there, vying for our victory together. So thank you to Kinsey. And one big announcement is that my memoir, Swimming for Freedom, is being published June 2nd. And I have copies already at my house. I would love to send you an autographed copy. And you can buy one with a discount code. It's Capital, all capital, VFV20 for $3.99 off at my website at tarabradham.com. So you could get your copy early and get it signed. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that story. So thank you again for listening. And we will see you here again next Monday.